Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 180. Today we're going to talk about big names like Ancestry and Google and Family Search. We're talking about big numbers too, the possible price tag for Ancestry at auction, and small numbers, uh, a handheld computer for under $100. We're talking about road trips, uh, an important online Civil War database, a leading Canadian digital archive, and exclusive tips for using Family Search's free digitized book collection, which can you believe it? Now tops 200,000 titles. And because I've gotten so much demand for it, I'm going to be sharing tips for backing up your data at Ancestry. Not just your tree, but your sources and your DNA too. Mixed in with all this news and how-tos is an assorted cast of listeners with questions and an inspiring story about long-lost siblings that were reunited by radio. So let's get started. Certainly some of the biggest news buzzing around the genealogy world is the possible sale of Ancestry. Reuters recently reported that the buyout firm that owns most of Ancestry has hired an investment banker to put the company up for auction. And the price tag that they're asking? Between $2.5 billion and $3 billion. Billion with a B. So what could this mean for their customers? For you, for me? Well, of course, it's far too soon to say. Ancestry currently delivers over 15 billion genealogy records to over 2 million subscribers. That's a lot of customers, and their current trajectory includes acquiring even more records pretty aggressively, which, of course, we love. But as I'm sure we've all experienced at one time or another, when any type of company gets sold, things can change. Or we could continue just to see business as usual at the shaky leaf genealogy giant. My best advice to those of you whose master family trees are on Ancestry, it's to download and back up your data. I'm not being an alarmist or saying that the sky is falling here, but this announcement really is simply a very good opportunity to do something we routinely recommend anyway. I'll have some specific advice for downloading your trees and checking your source material and getting your raw DNA from Ancestry later on in this podcast episode. But in other news, have you noticed that Google is now answering the questions that you Google instead of just giving you search results with the keywords in your questions? So for instance, if you Google the question, what county is Chicago in? Google will respond at the top of your search results with a big, fat Cook County headline, followed by some key facts about the county, kind of broken out in an answer box. So this could come in kind of handy when you're looking for quick answers and you don't want to have to click through and read all the different search results that are coming up. Uh, so keep an eye on that. And Google is also creating a bit of a stir with its new Chrome bit. It's a Chrome operating system, full-size computer, and it's about the size of your hand. Uh, it plugs into an HDMI port on your computer, not a, not a USB, but an HDMI. But it sounds like a really great option 
for on-the-go genealogical computing. A lot of folks aren't fully cloud-based, right? You don't have everything that you do on the cloud, and they you might not really ever plan to be. A lot of people like to work from a hard drive or a desktop of some kind, so this little Chrome bit kind of offers a portable way to do that. You could plug it in at a, a public terminal, let's say, so you don't have your computer with you and you're at the library or some other place where there's a computer that you're using. Uh, or maybe you're at a friend's house and using their home computer. Or, or you could even use this with a television so that you could share pictures on a big screen. And best of all, this little Chrome bit is as affordable as it is portable. We found a write-up at readwrite.com, and it reports that Google says this little Chrome bit is going to be less than $100. So keep an eye out, because that sounds like it's coming very soon. Also, over on our Genealogy Gems blog, lately we've been reporting, of course, we do this each Friday, on new records that are coming out, and new record collections. And uh, most recently, here's just kind of a smattering of some of the different collections that have been announced. Cincinnati Newspapers. Subscribers can now search over a quarter of a million papers from the Cincinnati Inquirer, and these span from 1841 to 1922, and those are available over at newspaper.com. This collection covers 80 years of history for one of the largest inland cities in the U.S., which has a major landing spot for Ohio River travelers, and it was home to thousands of German immigrants. The Digital Library of the Caribbean now offers access to the Enrique Hurtado de Mendoza collection of Cuban genealogy. According to the website description, the collection includes thousands of books, handwritten and typed letters, photos, and other primary documents relating to Cuba and Cuban genealogy, collected over four decades by Felix Enrique Hurtado de Mendoza. Rare 17th and 18th century books, long out of print publications and periodicals that few, if any, U.S. libraries hold in their catalogs. Additionally, thousands of unpublished family genealogies and manuscripts they make up this collection, which is particularly significant. You can read more about it uh, in their article, and we have it linked in the show notes. So if you have Cuban roots, this is one to take a look at. And one of New York City's oldest and largest cemeteries has put up a free database with thousands of burials, among them Civil War soldiers, former slaves, and a lot more. Greenwood Cemetery has more than half a million burials dating back to 1840. Those who find an ancestor in the database could consider ordering a search of Greenwood's archival records. And over 11,000 Surrey, England mental hospital admission records spanning from 1867 to 1900 have been newly digitized and published by Ancestry. And this was in partnership with the Surrey History Center. Each record contains the patient's name, gender, marital status, occupation, residence, religion, and their reasons for admission. Of course, their diagnosis. You don't see mental health um, hospital records very often. And so this is a very unique collection. Again, it's for Surrey, England, and it's been published by Ancestry.com. And on our weekly Friday blog, where we do the records roundup, uh, we have a little tip for you there I wanted to share with you here on the show. Um, we, we try to do a weekly Google search tip as you're looking for those unique record sets that will help with your research. 
don't forget to look for images associated with the types of record collections that you find. So where one record exists, another one may follow. So for example, you could search Surrey, England Mental Hospital. You know, you hear about a new collection coming out on Ancestry, head to Google, do a search for Surrey, England Mental Hospital. And then when the results come up, you're in web search where you see text results. Now you want to click the images link and your search results will convert to tons of photographs of that hospital. And some of them are quite old. You can further filter your image results under the search tools button. Most commonly, when you're searching for old pictures, I like to choose the black and white option under the color tab, which just naturally limits the results to uh, typically more older photo photos, because of course, current photos are typically in color. Or you can look for labeled for reuse under the usage rights tab. And that way, you are pulling up just images that you're free to use uh, and republish in your own work. And of course, this tip and lots more Google tips come from my book, The Genealogist Google Toolbox, the new second edition, fully revised and packed with tons of search gems and really creative ideas specifically for the genealogist. And of course, you can find that over at our store, genealogygems.com and click the store button. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to hear from you and answer some of your questions and share some of your finds that's over in the mailbox. Recently, Tom wrote in with a question about a Civil War veterans database. He writes, I've been a listener for, of your podcast for quite a long time. Great job. Thank you, Tom. He says, we have a grassroots group trying to locate and document Civil War veterans buried in Washington State. And he asks, is there a good website where I can enter a name and unit identification and get results of the person's Civil War service? I'm having a really hard time finding U.S. Navy sailors. Well, it sounds like Tom's conducting a very worthwhile project. You can learn more about it. We'll have a link in the show notes for you if you're interested in Civil War veterans buried in the Washington state. But to answer the general question, you know, an excellent resource, but one that's still in progress for sailors with only about 20% of their collection devoted to sailors is the Civil War Soldiers and Sailors System. It's known as CWSS. We've talked about it here on the podcast, both in the free show and more in depth in our premium podcast. The Civil War Soldiers and Sailors System, oh, it's a mouthful, <laughs> uh, describes its resources as a database containing information about the men who served 
in the Union and Confederate armies during the Civil War. Other information on the site includes histories of Union and Confederate regiments, links to descriptions of significant battles, and selected lists of prisoner of war records and cemetery records. Certainly a great find for anybody with Civil War ancestors. And as I mentioned, this is an excellent resource for soldiers. But as far as sailors go, the the site does uh, kind of clarify what they have there. It says, the Civil War soldiers and sailors system currently contains only the records of approximately 18,000 African-American sailors, though additional records will be added in the future. The information in the sailors database is derived from enlistment records and the quarterly muster rolls of Navy vessels. A Howard University research team is behind this amazing project, and they use muster rolls to fill in missing data or correct apparent misinformation. So in the show notes, we're going to have a link to an article from the National Archives about African-American servicemen in the Navy during the Civil War. Fascinating read and certainly connects really well with this CWSS website. But if a, if a Navy ancestor isn't among those already listed, my first instinct is always to turn to Google searches first. So I run a search in Google Books for free digitized books meeting the criteria Civil War. I put that in quotation marks so it would be a mandatory phrase. And I added the keyword sailors, put that also in quotation marks, again, making it mandatory in all results. And some resources did pop up in the search results. I'll put a link to these results in the show notes because rather than going through all of them one by one here in the podcast, but check it out. If you're looking for Civil War sailors, I think that you'll be very interested in my Google search results list. Here's just one example. There's the Manchester Men, which appears to be a published list of those who served from Manchester, New Hampshire. So you can see there's some very unique collections out there. Sometimes they're on an archive or a library website, but sometimes they're just another genealogist who has been doing some research in that area and they've posted it on their website. So you got to love Google search because it's going to be able to go out into the nooks and crannies of the internet and find all available resources that match your search criteria. Here's another email I got recently from Alexis. She says, I just had to email you and say, thank you for all you do. I am 23 and finding that I am obsessed with family history. No one around me seems to understand why, but I love it. And I was thrilled when I found your podcast. Though I'm still pretty young, I've been behind on some technologies like podcasts, but now I'm addicted to those too. It makes work so much better. Though I wish I didn't have to work at all so I could just research and apply what you teach instead. Wouldn't that be great? I have been on a genealogy podcast marathon. I'm still quite behind on genealogy gems since I just found you in 2015, but I'm working my way through it. And I started a blog, of course. I just mentioned you in my last post as well. It's called Genealogic Confessions, and you'll find it at genealogicconfessions.blogspot.com. It's just starting, but I really want to be part of the Genia Blogger community because it sounds like you guys have tons of fun. Thanks for all you do. Well, I love hearing this. And hey, for those of you who are a little further along in life, just know you are in good company. Not everybody who's in their 20s is <laughs> is a total tech um, aficionado. So we're all in this together. We're all learning about how to use and harness technology 
for family history. It certainly makes it a lot of fun, and it brings up all kinds of new opportunities, which um, is exciting to think that there's new avenues to pursue. So Alexis, I'm really glad that you found the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you know that for this podcast, we do have an app for that. You can find it in the App Store, whether you're using Windows, iOS, or Android. Uh, we have an app that will stream this show for you and um, collect all the new episodes as they're published. So uh, you've got links on our website to find that. And of course, if you are looking for more podcasts, you can become a Genealogy Gems Premium member. And you will have a whole new archive of podcast episodes available to you. We are over 120 premium episodes, many of them uh, more in-depth and devoted to some of the topics I know you're going to love. And we also publish a brand new episode every month. So lots to hear. Okay, well, we talked about at the beginning of the show that Ancestry is making some changes, and you might want to make some changes. So that's coming up next in our next gym. From my old hometown One with some jokes From my old pal Jim Brown Bring me a letter From that girl of mine Saying that she's longing for me All the time Bring me a letter From my proud old dad that we are winning and I bet he's glad but more than any other a line from my old mother bring me a letter from my hometown You know, I always advise people to keep their master family trees at home on their own computers, not online. The family tree software I recommend is Roots Magic, and I'm pleased to announce that Roots Magic 7 is out and it's better than ever. Now, what do I love most about this new update? It's got to be the automatic hinting feature. It's like Google Alerts for genealogy websites. RootsMagic now automatically searches sites like FamilySearch and MyHeritage for possible matches to your tree. You're going to see light bulb hints appear whenever a match is found. Clicking the light bulb will open a web browser with matching records. They've got new accounts that let you easily publish and maintain multiple trees online, whether publicly or privately. And data management is easy with the new data clean feature that helps you quickly find and fix possible problems with names and places. Or use the file compare feature to look at two different trees side by side and transfer information between them. These are just some of the dozens of new enhancements. You can give it a try right away with no risk with the free edition called Roots Magic 7 Essentials. So what are you waiting for? Go to RootsMagic.com. You'll see pretty quickly why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic.
Okay, I promised some tips for protecting your data on Ancestry, which you should do regularly, whether the site is under threat of new management or not. So first, I'm going to encourage you to download your current tree to a GEDCOM file onto your computer. You can go under the Trees tab and choose Create and Manage Trees. And for each tree that you have, choose Manage Tree and then Export Tree. Now, I've heard from some of you that you've had a little difficulty downloading your trees to specific software like Family Tree Maker or Roots Magic. So see our links in the show notes uh, where you can get a hold of their customer support over at Ancestry and they can help you with some of those specific questions. But next, check your sources. The Ancestry help section states that any pictures, charts, books, views, or similar items found in the original file will not be included in the downloaded JEDCOM. Vital information, notes, and sources are usually retained after conversion. So check your GEDCOM to see whether your source notes are intact after you export them. And then make sure that you have copies of your documents, videos, photos, and other items that you may have attached to your tree. Make sure you've got those on your hard drive or stored in your own cloud account. You don't want them to disappear should there be a hiccup or worse in the service at Ancestry. And that is true, not just for Ancestry, for any website. You know, there's a lot of websites coming out these days encouraging you to um, post all your stories and your photos. And and that's great. It's it's oftentimes a, a wonderful way to share with other people, with people in your family. But I never see this as my final resting place for my precious data. Um, I think that it's critical that we retain control of our data and secure it and back it up. That's key. So if you are uploading to Ancestry or any website, uh, I think it's key to keep your master files on your website. That's why, as you know, Roots Magic is our podcast sponsor. I picked them because I use them and they're great. That's a way for me to keep my complete data set in my own genealogy database on my computer. And then, as I've mentioned before, I am proud that now Backblaze is the official sponsor for Genealogy Gems. And that's because I'm now using them to back up all of my hard drives. And that's key because while I'm retaining this information for myself on my own computer, I don't want to have something happen to my computer and then lose it all anyway. So having the cloud backup on Backblaze, which is so easy to use, makes this whole process safe and secure. Then you want to go post things on story websites and Ancestry and other places, go for it. I see what I upload to the web as project work. I'm uploading photos because I want to use them in a Google Earth project. I'm uploading portions of my family tree to Ancestry because I'm looking to generate new leads um, for my research through connections with other people and also through them generating the shaky leaves and, and giving me little clues that I can pursue and then try to find primary source information on. So for me, that uploading to the web, that's part of the work of genealogy. But keeping my data on my computer, having it backed up to the cloud with a secure service, that's all about really taking good care of my precious data for me and, of course, for all the generations to come. Of course, if you would like to try out Roots Magic, you can do that. Head over to rootsmagic.com, 
let them know that we told you about them and uh, check that out. It's a fabulous program. And if you want to get that cloud backup, of course, you can head to backblaze.com slash Lisa, and you're going to get a great price for the year-long backup service. So check that out, backblaze.com slash Lisa. You will see my smiling face on that page because I am smiling because I love Backblaze and I love the fact that they're protecting my hard drives. Now, finally, if you have used Ancestry DNA, I talked about the DNA as part of this equation, you can download a copy of your raw DNA data from Ancestry. Check the link in the show notes to learn how. I'll have it there for you. We've blogged about this. Uh, Diane Southerd, your DNA guide here at Genealogy Gems, will be talking more about this in the future. We especially recommend this step of downloading a copy of your raw DNA data so that you have it yourself. You know, these tests, DNA tests, they're expensive. And tests for loved ones who are now deceased, they can't be repeated. And Ancestry has a record of disposing of DNA samples in the past. That's just the truth. That happened when they discontinued like the Y DNA test. They now only do autosomal testing. But when they discontinued those tests, they did dispose of the samples. And when a company changes directions, you never know, things can change. That's just real life. Again, I'm not trying to be an alarmist about this. I just want to make sure that you do your own homework and we give you as much information as we can so that you can continue that homework and make that decision about the best way to keep your precious genealogical data safe and secure. You know, now that I've moved to Texas and what they lovingly call Tornado Alley, I'm more aware than ever that if anything ever happened to my genealogy files, I would be devastated. And boy, have my files expanded since I started this research at the ripe old age of eight years old. As genealogists, we don't just have paper files anymore, but we also have digital files like our genealogy database and precious old photos that we've spent hours scanning. No matter where we upload our family tree or anything else relating to our family history on the web, the responsibility for the total safety and security of our files lies with us. That's why I'm so proud to announce that Backblaze is now the official backup of Lisa Louise Cook and Genealogy Gems. For the past few years, I've been researching and I've been test driving backup services and hands down, Backblaze is my choice. It's certainly the easiest service to use. And I love their free app that allows me to access all my files on my smartphone and my tablet. Plus, it backs up everything, including my video files. Yikes, I didn't realize before looking at Backblaze that other services skip over backing up videos. So don't wait another day to ensure that all your files are safe and secure. Back them up like I do with Backblaze. Head to backblaze.com slash Lisa and scroll down. You'll see my smiling face there and a great offer. Just 50 bucks for a year's peace of mind and the best cloud backup around. Go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. Our sponsor for this episode is MyHeritage. Now, I know that you tune in to the Genealogy Gems podcast because you know that I'm going to carefully vet the products that come across my desk. And I'm only going to bring to this show the ones that I really think are the real gems. Well, MyHeritage.com is in that category, and I couldn't be happier that they've signed on to support 
and sponsor this free podcast. I've spent the last several months really digging into my heritage, and I found some powerful tools that I think you really need in your genealogy tool belt. First of all, they have over 70 million members worldwide. If you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, MyHeritage is the place that you want to be. Get your tree posted on their website and start to see the magic as they automatically match it up with other trees, not just with genealogists in the country where you live, but genealogists around the world. Then there's MyHeritage's unique and powerful search system. It's called Record Matches. It constantly calls five billion historical records for your family. It's the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. It's also the first to translate names between languages. And I personally like that the matches from the historical newspaper collection at MyHeritage, they show up towards the top of the results list. So visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started, so there's really no reason to wait, and there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. So in this gem, I have another tip for you. Google Books, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast, isn't the only place to find digitized family history books online. Another free and growing resource is Family Search's Family History Books Collection. Of course, I'll have a link to that in the show notes for you. They've reached a milestone, 200,000 titles. And this collection began eight years ago, and it includes family histories, county and local histories, genealogy, magazines, and how-to books, gazetteers, and medieval histories and pedigrees, according to the Family Search landing page for family history books. Digitally archived volumes like these are really so valuable because they are immediately accessible and because they're keyword searchable. That's really key to finding information fast, that keyword searchability. Well, here are three search strategies that you can use. First, look for only a surname. In case the first name is written a different way or a different relative is mentioned. Second, in addition to surnames, search for the name of a neighborhood, a street, church, school, business, type of work, or other keywords that pertain to your family but aren't all focused on just the names. And three, use the advanced search feature to focus your search in the Family Search Family History Book Collection for things like keywords in a title or a type of publication, such as a periodical. You can use that advanced search. It'll prompt you to get more focused in your research. Now, once you're reading a book, you can click on the information icon. It's a circle with an eye in it, and it's typically up on the upper right-hand corner. And there you can see more information about the book that you're looking at, including source citation and copyright information, both key to your research. And, you know, we were curious here at Genealogy Gems about how well Family Search's digital book viewer interfaces with mobile devices. So we asked Family Search, and it turns out that this is still a work in progress. And in fact, some browsers work better than others. Dennis Muldrum at Family Search told us that, quote, Safari does not work well with the viewer, unquote. 
Neither do mobile devices like the iPhone or iPad. The viewer works best with Internet Explorer or Firefox on your computer. It also works with Chrome, but the Adobe tools do not work. And they said that they are aware of the limitations of the viewer and are working to replace it by the end of the year. And of course, another great resource to go to when looking for items in the family search book collection is to head also over to worldcat.org. There is a partnership now between Family Search and WorldCat, and their card catalog is integrated there. So just to double check that you're finding all the gems that are tucked away in there for you, doesn't hurt to run your search through both locations. So that's Family Search's Family History Book Collection. ideal genetic genealogy interface creates a seamless transition between genetics technology and genealogical research findings. Most currently available tools are either technology without much genealogy or genealogy without much technology. Ancestry DNA is really pioneering the genetic and genealogical integration with its newest Ancestry DNA product update they are calling New Ancestor Discoveries. Welcome, Genealogy Gems podcast listeners. I am Diane Southard, your DNA guide. The goal of genetic genealogy is to aid your traditional research by verifying known connections and providing clues to as yet unknown ancestors. Genetic genealogy was never meant to replace traditional research methods, nor has it ever claimed that ability. Rather, genetic genealogy is meant to aid your traditional research by verifying known connections and providing clues to as yet unknown ancestors. I admit, I dream of a future technology so precise that it pinpoints the locations of ancestors and defines our exact relationship to others. While we are not there yet, Many have experienced a genetic test's power to obliterate previously held beliefs about relationship and heritage, and also create new, intricate, and personal relationships where before there were only blank spaces. In this sense, genetic genealogy can be viewed as a kind of police force of the genealogy world, righting wrongs and taking names. But I digress. For now, the ideal must remain a seamless transition between genetics technology and traditional research results so that the two so completely complement each other that we can't see where one stops and the other begins. Yet, the two worlds are often separated by a chasm of misunderstanding and just plain ignorance. Of the three testing companies, two are making mediocre efforts at best to try to help you incorporate your genetics into your genealogy. They're basically dishing out a full serving of genetics, offering a vending machine of genealogy snacks, and calling it a full meal. With one exception. Ancestry DNA has put genetic and genealogical integration at the forefront of its product. They are the only company making a serious effort to integrate your genetics and your genealogy. To be successful, they need two things, tons of people and their genealogy. 
The more people that test, the better the database becomes, not just in terms of the matches you find, but also in terms of statistics and the power that numbers have to solve complex problems like relatedness. So how do they get more people interested in genetic genealogy? This reminds me of my early days at Relative Genetics, one of the first genetic genealogy companies. I was fresh out of college and tasked with training our CEO, CFO, quality director, and marketing director about what exactly it was that we did as a genetic genealogy company. None of these men had any experience in genetics or genealogy. In those meetings, as we were trying to figure out ways to grow our little company in an unknown industry, I felt like I was the constant downer to the party. As a scientist, I'd been trained that there are no absolutes. Whenever we talk about outcomes, it's always in terms of most likely or less likely and to never, ever say always. So when they would get excited about an idea and propose wording for an ad campaign, I was always reining them in. After reading a recent announcement by Ancestry DNA, I feel like their marketing department had a meeting on the day that their scientific advisor was out sick, and without his or her corralling, they started a stampede. Which, of course, was exactly what they wanted. In their press release, Ancestry's Dr. Den Kahane, SVP and GM of Ancestry DNA, said, quote, it is effectively a shortcut through time. You take the test today and we'll tell you who your ancestors were, for example, in the 1700s. You don't need to research records or build a family tree. Ancestry DNA now transports you into the past, end quote. Which is exactly what people want to hear, especially non-genealogists who are curious about their past but don't have the tools or know-how or interest in doing the actual genealogy work. But is it true? Is genetic genealogy a shortcut through time? Absolutely, says the marketing team. Sometimes, and that depends on factor A and factor B and situation C and, say, the scientists. And they're both right. The trick is to hear them both as you review these kinds of new advances in genetic genealogy. What makes the absolutely true is that one of the dreams of genetic genealogy is to use the DNA of living people today to actually reconstruct the genetics of our ancestors so that their actual DNA profile is known. Then it will be easy to identify their descendants as we will be able to see immediately what part of our DNA came from which of our ancestors. Ancestry has demonstrated their ability to do this in a large-scale study of the descendants of a 19th century American and his two successive wives. Now for the sometimes. This full genome reconstruction hasn't been done yet for your grandparents or great-grandparents. Right now, the best we can do is to use your DNA to link you to living individuals, then rely on your traditional genealogy to help you find your common ancestor. Ancestry is trying to help you do that, using their DNA circles, and now with their new ancestor discoveries. You'll remember from a previous blog post here at Genealogy Gems that to be included in a DNA circle, you have to have a ticket to the party, meaning both your genetics and your genealogy match with at least two other people in the database, and a circle is created around the host of the party, who is your common ancestor. With new ancestor discoveries, we are letting those with just a genetic ticket into the party meaning that if you share DNA with two or more people who are already in a DNA circle, the host of that circle is named as an ancestor who might be on your pedigree chart. Did you notice how I said might? 
that this newly discovered ancestor might be in your pedigree chart? As an idea, new ancestor discoveries is very exciting. Don't you think? To be able to find out using both genetics and genealogy that a particular person living 100 years ago might just be the one who belongs in that blaring blank space on your pedigree chart? And it will be. But right now, Ancestor needs to work out some bugs, starting with a stronger acknowledgement that the Ancestor listed in the discoveries is by no means an absolute, but just a hint. In coming posts, I'll share with you how I'm using the new Ancestor discoveries to discover more about my genealogy, even if it isn't exactly in the way Ancestry intended. These are exciting times to be a genetic genealogist, and I hope you'll stay with me here on Genealogy Gems to learn more about this exciting technology and how it can help you in your genealogy. about digital libraries and archives. Well, in this gem, I've got a great one to share with you. If you have Canadian roots, and I know a lot of you do, you should be searching Canadiana. That's Canadiana.com. C-A-N-A-D-I-A-N-A dot C-A. Yeah, I had to practice it a couple times <laughs> to say it right. Uh, you should be searching this website, Canadiana.com, regularly for family history information. Recently, over at Newswire.ca, they described Canadiana as a digital initiative of extraordinary scale. It's a joint effort of 25 leading research institutions, libraries, and archives working together with the goal of creating Canada's multi-million page comprehensive online archive. Its digital collections chronicle Canada's past since the 1600s, and most of this content is free. So, for example... There's the Free Heritage Project, which, quote, aims to digitize, preserve, and make accessible Canada's archival materials for Canadians and the world, unquote. Their large collection of genealogy materials so far includes immigration records, church records, land records, family histories, voters lists, and a lot more. Military history, government documents, and Aboriginal records are also well represented in this collection. So check back often. More is coming, like local and regional newspaper digitization and records of the Canadian Expeditionary Forces. Another part of Canadiana is the Canadiana Discovery Portal. This gateway to digital collections from 40 repositories points to 65 million pages. 
Sample subjects include Ontario genealogy and War of 1812 campaigns, and this portal is also free to use. Now, one part of the site that's awesome but not free is the Early Canadiana Online. It has 5 million images already, and it expects to grow to 16 million. A subscription is going to run you about $10 a month or a year for $100. And I'm assuming that that's in Canadian currency. According to the site, it's, quote, a full-text collection of published documentary material, including government documents and specialized or mass-market periodicals from the 16th to the 20th centuries, Law, literature, religion, education, women's history, and Aboriginal history are particular areas of strength, unquote. The site describes itself also as the most complete set of full-text historical content about Canada, including books, magazines, and government documents. Now here's a tip. Scroll down on the homepage to click the Genealogy and Local History Portal. But, of course, don't ignore the rest of the site. of the Genealogy Gems Book Club has come around again, the author interview. This quarter, we are featuring The Lost Ancestor, a genealogical crime mystery by British author Nathan Dylan Goodwin. Today, we welcome him to the podcast. Hello, Nathan. Hello. It's nice to have you on. Thank you. It's nice to be on. Thank you. Good. Tell me where you're talking to us from. I'm talking to you uh, from uh, my little office in my house in Selinge, which is in Kent on the south coast of England. Wonderful. Well, I'm here in my little office on the, the north shores of the United States on Lake Erie in, in Ohio. So, hello. It's wonderful that technology permits us to chat like this. Yes. yes. It's very good. Okay. And we have some really good things to talk about. As I mentioned when I introduced this book in the April podcast, The Lost Ancestor is the second book in the Forensic Genealogist series. Nathan, tell us a little bit about this series and how you got started on it. Okay. So um, back in 2008, I was doing a creative writing uh, master's degree. And as part of that course, I started to write what was called The Forensic Genealogist. And it was very well received by my um, classmates and they kind of encouraged me to keep going with it and to finish it. And I did, but then it kind of got put on the back burner and I trained to become a primary school teacher and that took over. And so it just kind of sat there untouched for a while. And then I found uh, Steve Robinson's first book, In the Blood, which I really enjoyed. And I thought, oh, there is there is a, uh, a market for this genre out there. 
And so I contacted Steve and I said, um, kind of explained my situation that I wanted to, to write and I'd got this book and, and he was again very encouraging and so I thought, okay. So I got up at five o'clock in the morning every morning and did an hour's writing before work and polished it and finished it and uh, finally published it in September 2013 and then got stuck straight into the, the follow-up The Lost Ancestor. So that came about. That's fantastic. So what inspired this kind of character in this kind of series, Forensic Genealogy? Why this? Um, I think it kind of comes from my own uh, imagination, really, a lot of it. I had this idea of a dete- the detective genre kind of has been done a lot, and I thought it'd be quite interesting to come about, come at it from a different angle and have a crime committed at some point in the past but which is not solved by a policeman or a detective in the traditional sense, but a genealogist. And so I kind of thought, okay, we'll go down that route. And I I love family history. And so whenever I've been doing my own research, I've come across people and photographs or things, stories that I thought that would make quite an interesting story. Um, Not quite as exciting as the Lost Ancestor, I don't think. (laughs) But, um, you know, I've come across things. I thought, you know, that would be a good story. And as I said, when I I started in 2008, um, it hadn't been done by then. And and so I kind of dismissed it. But but, uh, I think, yeah, it's a good good market for, for genealogists. Well, yeah, absolutely. So the Lost Ancestor opens with your forensic genealogist hero, Morton Ferrier, accepting a client's challenge to discover whatever happened to his great aunt, Mary. So why does the client care so much about a great aunt? Sure, we ask these questions about our own parents and grandparents and great grandparents. Why does he care so much about her and what's the mystery? So um, the client, he's called Ray Mercer, and he was raised by his grandmother, who ended up becoming more of a mother to him than his own mother. Um, And she had a twin sister called Mary Mercer, who vanished in 1911, kind of without trace. And so he was very close to his grandmother, and he wanted to try to find out what happened to this twin sister. So he could go to his grandmother's grave and kind of say, I, I, found, your, I found your sister, I found out what happened to her. Um, the fact is as well, he's dying of cancer, and so he's, he's tried to do the research himself, and he's got nowhere. He's got her birth certificate, he's got her on the 1901 and 1911 census, and then that's it, she vanishes. He can't find a marriage, a death, he can't find immigration, there's nothing for her and so he kind of hands it over to Morton to uh, try to find out what happened to her. I think we've all had those frustrations with these ancestors who just disappear from the historical record. Now I'm not sure that any of mine have such a a fascinating story or maybe I just don't know yet because (laughs) I haven't found it yet. So without spoiling it for those who haven't finished the book, tell us something about how the action unfolds for Morton and for Mary. So Morton uh, accepts the the case from from Ramus and kind of promises that he'll he'll find out what happened to her, and he comes at it from the premise that somebody or some people at some point must have known what happened to her that day she disappeared, and so he draws up three lists of people with work family and friends and he starts to do various research techniques to work through those lists and try to find out what happened and so he'll go to archives he'll go write letters to living descendants of people that she worked with and he goes to uh blackfriars which is this 
a large country estate mansion where she worked as a housemaid and where on an afternoon off she left for home and didn't ever show up at home and didn't return to work and disappeared. Um, and so he goes there and in pursuing these various lines uh, of research, he kind of inadvertently sticks a stick in a wasp's nest and <laughs> riles some people who, um, without giving too much away, who don't want him to find out what happened to, to Mary Mercer. And they kind of try to stop him doing anything they can to, to stop his, his research. Wow. <laughs> it's a really, really fun read. So, um, Blackfriars, you know, tell us about this uh, setting you chose. It immediately, of course, made me think of Downton Abbey, although the way you describe it, it's not quite that grand. But tell us a little bit more about Blackfriars and why you chose it. Yeah, it, it was a kind of, a, I'm glad you spotted that. It was a kind of a, a nod towards Downton. Um, I do love the program. And uh, whilst I was writing The Lost Ancestor, I visited uh, Highclere Cast, where Downton is set um, several times um, to try to uh, it's this kind of the scale of the place and the hierarchy around that Edwardian period that I really wanted to try to capture so Blackfriars isn't quite as grand as Downton but I, I ha- has that kind of feel to it and the appearance of it and in the in the book Blackfriars in the modern day setting is used as a film location for a fictional program called the priory so again it's another another nod towards downton um actually the the place where blackfriars is set in winchelsea which is a lovely small town in uh, in east sussex um there is a place a, a mansion there called greyfriars but it's not quite uh, on the scale of downton so that's why i kind of used a bit of downton in there as well as the setting so it's kind of that, that hierarchy and that str- right. social structure that really appealed to me uh, of the time so yeah there is a nod you know it really does and it appeals to so many people clearly with this su- success of an interest in downton abbey why do you think it's so appealing these characters sort of between the stairs and behind the scenes in the, the grand banners why are they why do we love them so much i don't know i think it's because it's so alien really it's only a hundred sort of hundred years ago and yet it's so very different to our lives now i mean that, that class system i guess it still kind of exists but not to such a degree where you've got that definite divide between the two the two classes and i, I think that we're as readers and as viewers we're kind of just that's appealing it's almost like looking at another species isn't it it is kind of and I think you're right it's that the idea I had to keep reminding myself really this is only a hundred years ago that that this kind of um, stratification was there and I think you're right I hope you enjoyed this portion of our interview with author Nathan Dylan Goodwin In Genealogy Gems Premium Podcast episode number 124, we'll have the full-length interview for you in the Genealogy Gems Book Club, and Nathan's going to share some of his own family stories that inspired the Lost Ancestors storyline. He'll dish on his other books in the series, which are equally as riveting, and as an experienced storyteller, Nathan shares how he has learned to communicate the thrill of the genealogical chase to his readers. And wouldn't we all love to be able to do that? If you're not a Genealogy Gems Premium member yet, we'd love to have you join us. Head on over to genealogygems.com and click Premium in the menu.
Profile America, Tuesday, June 2nd. On this date 91 years ago, Congress passed, and President Coolidge signed, the Indian Citizenship Act, which stated, All non-citizen Indians born within the territorial limits of the United States be, and are hereby declared to be, citizens of the United States, provided that the granting of such citizenship shall not in any manner impair or otherwise affect the right of any Indian to tribal or other property. Prior to this act, about two-thirds of American Indians were already citizens by other provisions. Universal voting rights lagged until 1957 as various state laws were amended. Today, there are over two million single-race American Indians possessing this full citizenship and 566 federally recognized tribes. You can find more facts about America from the U.S. Census Bureau online at census.gov. Well, I hope you've enjoyed Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 180. And before I close today, I want to tell you a story which our contributing editor, Sonny Morton, recently read about. It's about long-lost relatives who were reunited. We hear a lot of stories like that. You know, relatives who rediscover each other online, through technology, through DNA testing. But this story does happen a bit through technology, but it happened in 1926. Sonny found the story in a newspaper article. So the children of a man named Alonzo Jones, they were sitting around one day listening to the radio. And then they heard the announcer say, Alonzo Jones, wherever you are, listen. Your sister wants to see you at Worthington, Ohio. She has not seen or heard from you in 40 years. You were born at Antiquity, Ohio, at the time of the Civil War. You were reared by Captain William Roberts, an Ohio River flatboat man. You went with him on a produce boat when you were a boy, and you ran away while the boat was lying at the bank in Arkansas. The article reports that the man telegraphed his sister and arranged to meet her, all because she'd had a dream that the radio could help her find her brother, and she tried it, and it worked. What an inspiration. Back from 1926, it reminds me of the value of thinking outside the box, of using all available technologies, whatever they are at your time and place, and of never giving up when you are looking for family. Forty years after she lost her brother, she still thought of him, and she finally figured out how to find him. Well, I'm glad you found us here at Genealogy Gems. You can stay in touch with us through subscribing to our free newsletter, the Genealogy Gems newsletter. Head to genealogygems.com, enter your email address, and every Thursday you will hear from us and everything that's new here at Genealogy Gems, the best tips and tricks to make your genealogical life a lot easier and more successful. And of course, when you sign up for the free newsletter, you get our free 20-page ebook on Google search strategies just to get you started. And of course, we invite you to become a premium member if you aren't already. We've got even more great gems, ideas, and all my most popular classes on video with the handouts, all available to Genealogy Gems premium members. You can find that under the premium tab at genealogygems.com. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>